show, everyone. Fuse from the turnstile. Well, after a crazy and interrupted season due to COVID, we finally reached the end of the home and away season. We've got finals coming up next week and our top eight locked in. I'm Hamish and I'm joined by my esteemed co-hosts, Finn and Hayden. Uh, Hayden, how are you feeling after the last round of footy, especially with results probably not going the way that you were hoping them to? Yeah, we didn't have it as tight a finish as 2017 by missing out on 0.5 percentage. But um, yeah, look, we did get squeezed out in the end, but I was pretty happy with the way we finished. And Finn, how are you feeling? Obviously, your Hawks couldn't make it, but it seems like we're set up for quite an interesting October final series. Yeah, it was good for the Hawks to finish on a high and uh, some good games during the week to finish off the season. And I think the finals are shaping up to be pretty exciting. We've got some big shoes to fill, Hamish, being the only one with a team in the eight. We didn't think it was going to end like this, but... Oh, well, I think it was just the faith I showed in Collingwood, even though the free tips I made in their favour didn't end up coming off. <laughs> it's it's what happens when you back your team each week, even if they actually don't get the result most of the time. They just find a way to get in there, only to probably get slaughtered by West Coast, but we'll <laughs> I'll probably get to that next week. Uh, but we'll kick things off with probably the most hyped game from last round, which was Saints against GWS. It had major ramifications, which really set the tone for the rest of the weekend. And it was the Saints for the first time since 2011, then to the finals. It was a dominant second half where they just put the foot to the throat and completely smashed GWS. Uh, Finn, uh, what did you make of this performance? It was pretty clinical and the Saints looked like they could be a bit of a danger team heading into October. Yeah, I think we were a bit hesitant to to pick the Saints because we weren't sure how the Giants were going to go, and I think we had predicted that they they were fading out this year, and they really ended that way on the weekend. And the Saints killed them, and the Giants really didn't show much. And I think the Saints have impressed this year, and I think they'll be hoping to carry some of that form into finals. And with a few of their guys coming back in, and the way they're going at the moment, they could be a big threat. I did think um, Stephen Coniglio did pretty well in his game back. Um, I think he definitely stood up, but I think he kind of lacked the required support from his teammates. Well, it was a pretty damning performance to have finals on the line after they've made a final and also won one since 2016. They kicked their fourth lowest score in the history of the club. And of course, in their, those early years, there were some pretty ugly performances. So even with short in quarters, it was a pretty bad performance with their season on the line. But I was really impressed with Jack Steele in particular. He is a former giant and he absolutely slaughtered his former side. I will get to it late in the show, but he's probably an All-Australian this year, Hayden, and probably firming us to Saints captain next year. Yeah, well, I mean, that is interesting to look at it like that. Who else would you put in the mix um, for captaincy next year? Well, I guess off the top of my head, I can't see Jaron Geary, even though he's been a great servant, retaining the role and... Before this season, I might have thrown out someone like Seb Ross or even Jack Billings, but I think Steele's kind of merged uh, head and shoulders above everyone else to be the main man uh, heading into the future. Yeah, I think you're probably right. He was the most outstanding player this year, and I think he, he might slide into that role pretty well. And I guess looking at the Giants, uh, I think it would be fair to say they're probably the most disappointing team this year. Uh, coming off an appearance in the grand final, they've uh, missed the finals this year, now face a lot of questions heading into their future with uh, two players who are probably 
best 22 every week already confirmed to be leaving the club through free agency thin. Yeah, I think the Williams and Core, they're pretty big blows for the team. And then I think Finlayson re-signing is a good sign. But look at the way Cameron and uh, I think definitely Cameron, how he faded out towards the end of this year, whether he signs another contract. And there has been trade rumours of him leaving, but I think if they want to get set and go again with their list, he needs to stay. And I think there's a lot of similar players there that they've signed and players they need to sign and potentially they need to go to the draft again or look to free agency because, yeah, it was a pretty disappointing season. Yeah, and <laughs> coming off a grand final in 2019 and then not even making the eight the next year, I think that's um, pretty evident of the year they've had. I think the disappointing thing is it feels like everything hasn't gone the Giants' way each season. There's always been injuries or issues with form, but... In the last uh, three or four seasons, they've still found a way to make the finals, but it just felt like that kind of grunt and will to win was lacking this season. Uh, a lot of players were down on form. Uh, you mentioned Jeremy Cameron thing, and he actually finished with less goals for the season than uh, Ben King, who's a second-year key forward playing for the Suns. Which, <laughs> I mean, part of that, you have to give credit to Ben King. He's had a great season, but it also just symbolizes how a lot of those top giant players you could throw in Taranto and Canelio, uh, who's down to the point that they ended up dropping him. It just feels like a lot of players uh, weren't able to back up from last season. They did have a lot of injuries as well, to be fair. Toby Green was in and out a fair bit, and he was among others that they would have loved to have had in the team, I would have thought. Yeah, definitely. And uh, he probably won a few games, I think, back to their matches against Collingwood and Richmond, which were decided by less than a goal off his own boot. I think he kicked four or five goals in those games. But it kind of goes back to the argument that you feel like even an injured Giants team is still better, at least skill-wise and on paper, than a lot of other teams in the competition. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of talent there the way they've uh, like the list they have and especially the guys have these guys been injured this year and been out of form it's allowed guys like Riccardi and Tom Green to come through along with Perryman as well to become a really important player so they're going to keep finding players it's just whether they can do that consistently well that'd be a really interesting prospect to watch next season but one team which also had a lot of expectations coming into this season and were actually able to make it in the finals is the Western Bulldogs. It was a bit of a danger game against Fremantle. I actually backed the Dockers, but to the Dogs' credit, after quarter time, they really got on top. I thought uh, their sons of Sons of the West in Liberatore and Lockie Hunter were massive for them. And uh, Hayden, they go into September, not September, sorry, October, with a bit of momentum, kind of shades of 2016. <laughs> That's a big call. Uh to say but um i think yeah they've definitely found some pretty good form in um, recent times they definitely took it to geelong um a couple of weeks back whether they can keep that form up when they're playing these top teams um and it's sad that they'll have to face st kilda and um one of these teams won't be moving forward so i'm not even sure who you'd pick between those two it will definitely be a really intriguing game because I think they played all the way back in round two and the Saints ended up smashing the Dogs, but it feels like uh, they're both very different teams from that point in the season. I guess quickly touching on Freo, they're not going to make the finals and it was always going to be tough on Sunday without Walters and Tavernar, but Finn, would you say they're one of the biggest improvers this season, a really young list, and after losing two of their top five finishes in the BNF in 
uh, Bradley Hill and Langdon departing the club. I think they've been really impressive despite all that. Yeah, I think they have. I think at the during the start of the season and in like pre-season, a lot of people were predicting them to finish quite low on the ladder, and they've managed to, I think, succeed a lot of people's expectations. Um, and that's probably yeah driven by their youngsters. You've seen Tabana really stand up down forward, and uh, and then they've got down back Luke Ryan has emerged as a star and a potential Australian through the middle and Chera and Brayshaw having really big years and um, Sarong coming as a first-year player who I'm sure we'll touch on when we uh, focus on the rising star later in the podcast. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's A lot of those players are just really finding good form and I think Freo, I would say Sydney too, have um, sort of probably been the mo- two most improved teams of this year and I think it really does... Um, come down to the young talent they've come got coming through. I think especially without their three first-choice key defenders in uh, Pierce, Hamlin and Logue, they've been brilliant. But I guess moving back to the Bulldogs, uh, Finn, how much damage do you reckon they can cause in the finals? Of course, some concerns over Aaron Norton after uh, the game against Freo. Mitch Wallace was also a bit sore, but he's expected to be okay. Uh, how far do you reckon they can go, especially if they can kind of continue this momentum they've gathered? Yeah, well, you mentioned how the, they did it in 2016, so there's no reason why they can't do it again. I think Norton is definitely a big loss, but they've got the forwards to do it, whether Bruce can fire or Shackie comes back into that forward line, and Wallace has been really consistent this year, and their midfielders do hit the scoreboard, along with English, who I think kicked two on the weekend so they've got the players to do it and I think when Hunter's firing as well he adds a lot to that midfield. Yeah if Hunter had played the full season I would put him in contention for all Australian um, I think he's had a really massive um, return and yeah I would definitely consider placing him in there. Yeah well he's been really good this season and he'll be a big part of the Dogs finals campaign but two teams that came into the season with high expectations but both fell short are Melbourne and Essendon. Uh, Melbourne did what they needed to do at the time. They got the job done to keep their final hopes alive, even though they were ended after the Bulldogs won on Sunday. But I guess I turn to you, Hayden, as a Melbourne supporter. What have you made of this season? Obviously, a big improvement on last season, but the, your D still weren't able to make the finals. Yeah, I think definitely having the full pre-season helped immensely um, because after 2018, we had all those surgeries and I just, I don't see how having, I think it was something like 18 surgeries, uh, something like that, um, how you can sort of manage to come in and be expected to play well. So I think having another pre-season to build on that will do us a world of wonders. Um, And I think one thing I did notice is that they sort of, um, half the players seem to want to play fast and the others are going slow so there's a bit of um, just uh, not, not, not as much cohesion I would say uh, but that's just kind of been my take on it um, whether we need a true key tall forward um, compared to other teams like Richmond, Geelong, West Coast and Port Adelaide those top ones who've all got those um, massive influencing key tools whether we've got our young players in like Wiedemann and Tommy McDonald didn't really fire this year and Mitch Brown's been looking good but I'm not sure if he's the next um if he's the uh the answer to it um but yeah no it'll be interesting for sure I guess Hayden uh switching gears to Essendon a lot of controversy and kind of bad will surrounding them at the moment obviously it was John Worsfold's last game uh 
they were pretty lackluster for most of the game, though they did fire in the final quarter. But a lot of questions surrounding them with the likes of Danaher, Saad Fantasia, and even Kyle Hooker all being thrown out as names who could leave the club over the off-season. Yeah, it um, definitely doesn't help with their worries of, you know, obviously the coach going and now a lot of changes um, coming in. I'm interested to hear what your take on it is. Yeah, I think the Demons, uh, the, the Bombers, I think it's probably not a great season for them. And when you've got guys like Danaher, Saad, Fantasia being rumoured to be leaving the club, it's not a great sign heading into the off-season. Um, having played potentially their last games for the club. Um, but there are positives there. I think the way McGrath came through and definitely Ridley as well. There's stuff to build on and there's stuff to be positive about. Well, I think definitely a big shout-out to Jordan Ridley, uh, Essendon's best and fairest at just 21 years old and after only 26 games, the third least experienced uh, in the club's history. I guess we were talking about list strategy and I'm interested to get your perspective, Finn. What do you reckon Melbourne should do over the off-season? Uh, some questions about whether Harley Bennell will keep his spot, especially after his indiscretion over the weekend and whether a veteran like Nathan Jones will go around again. Yeah, I think their recruitment's been on and off over the last few seasons because you look at May and Langdon, who I think have been really good recruits, and then Bennell, who's been on and off, and Tomlinson yet to really get going. Um, whether Jones stays again is yet to be seen. I think it'd probably do well for him to go because there's quite a lot of midfield talent there and he might be taking a spot up for one of those younger guys coming through. Um, whether they look after, try to find another key forward, whether Tom McDonald stays and maybe a key forward to stay with Wiedemann, I think that could be something they look after. Yeah, personally, I think uh, I'd like Nathan Jones to have another year. I think people can be pretty quick to rule out the older players, but I think um, Cade Simpson, for example, I think he probably could have stayed another year. I think um, sort of their leadership and maturity is pretty undervalued and he was even, I would put in their top 10 players. And so I think Jones definitely adds a lot to the team. And um, I think they probably do what I would to him to get him over the edge to a 300. Well, it'll be fair interesting to see what some of these teams do now that their seasons are over. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then uh, review all of the other games from last round. Active goalless streak in the AFL. Game 202 and goal two. And the perfect way to finish for one of their all-time breaks. Welcome back to the show, guys. You just heard some audio of uh, Ben Stratton's goal in his final game as an AFL footballer. It was the longest streak between goals uh, that was running in the AFL. And Finn, it must have been a pretty special moment for you to see the likes of Paul Piopolo and Ben Stratton uh, and their illustrious careers in style, even though I feel like you were ready to head up to the Gold Coast hub and uh, pack Piopolo's bags for him. It must have been pretty nice to see our two premiership heroes right off into the sunset. Yeah, I think I've been calling for Pioppolo to go for a while now and I was happy to see him play well in his last match and Stratton as well. I think the Hawks usually do pretty well with their send-offs think last year with Ruffy <laughs> kicking a bag and against the Suns Yeah, I think well, you got to hate it to the Suns for that one. <laughs> yeah, that might <laughs> yeah. be the common denominator. <laughs> the Suns are good with it as well. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was good to see both of them hit the scoreboard. Stratton's first goal in 10 years and... Yeah, so I think with those old guys leaving, there was also some young guys putting some really good performances with Moore and Greaves and Will Day 
who we've been really big on all year. So, yeah, it was a good sign from the Hawks and a good way to end the season. Yeah, they've had some pretty good send-offs this season. Um, I've been pretty pretty wholesome, I thought. Um, and I'm pretty sure you picked Hawthorne to win, didn't you, there, Finn? Yeah, I think I think I did. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I think the Hawks owed Finn a bit because he has been pretty loyal to them throughout the season yeah. and uh, uh, 2008 Premiership hero Stuart Jew uh, looking after his old club yeah. uh, I guess looking at his team the Gold Coast Suns they're kind of funny proposition to tackle because they've definitely gotten better this season more wins and an improved percentage which many people look at as a key indicator for the sides uh, kind of formed during the season but Hayden, it was still kind of a disappointing way to finish off what's otherwise been a pretty good season. Yeah, no, I think um, Gold Coast have had a pretty good year. I mean, they're definitely building, like, we've, we've sort of talked about that over the season and they've only just sort of missed out on quite a few wins. Um, so I think you'd be pretty happy with how they've gone and um, they've put up some pretty, pretty good fights. And, I mean, it, it is a, a bit of a rough way to go with that um, score, but um, who knows, as someone just said... It, could have had a bit of Stuart Dew going on behind the scenes. <laughs> well, we'll move on to another farewell game from last week. And you touched on it, Hayden. There's been a lot of good farewells. And Cade Simpson, the Blues couldn't get the job done for him, but it was a pretty fitting end to his career. He was one of their best on ground. He uh, kicked a great goal, and it was quite a fitting end for a 340-plus uh, champion of the game, Hayden. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I didn't even realize he was um he'd played the most games from 2005 to 2020. And um yeah, I think he's definitely like he as I mentioned before, he probably could have stayed on for another year um over someone probably like Eddie Betts, who even I would probably keep him on. So and it was great they got him the goal too. That's always nice to see in um the final games as well. It definitely was, but uh, one thing that wasn't too nice was David Teague's spray at half-time. He's been <laughs> criticised a lot for kind of being a bit too calm and collected, but you could see it during like the half-time coverage, and I think they even caught the start of it. He was shouting, like, uh, one of your leaders when uh, pointing at Patrick Cripps. Uh, won't try and do the actual yelling himself, otherwise my voice will probably break. But I <laughs> think, uh, what did you make of this? And do you think it's a good sign for someone who's been criticised as just being a bit too calm and collected to actually show a bit of emotion, especially since it was such a big game being Cade Simpson's last? Yeah, I think it probably was a good sign from Teague, and it's good that he's taking initiative again for that team. Um, and he probably had the. It was fair enough for him to be pretty angry because I think they faded out again and had that patch where they they just drop off and the other team gets on top of them. Um, so after he gave them that spray, they did come out a bit better. Um, and maybe that's something they take into next year that they just can't afford to drop out of games that they like they've done this year. Yeah, I'd say a bit of frustration boiled over there, um, <laughs> just because of obviously with their issues with um, conceding, I, I believe it's five plus goals in a row too many times this year. And I think um, coming at the end of the season, he'd probably just had enough. Well, they've conceded uh, five plus goals in a row uh, 18 times since Teague's taken over. But <sighs> I, I guess quickly touching on the team, they were playing Brisbane. Uh, they've locked in a top two spot. They already had that, but they just got the job done against Carlton and the potentially big news heading into the first week of finals thing is that Harris Andrews could potentially be playing when it was feared he could be out until 
uh, prelim at the earliest. Yeah, I think Andrews coming back into that team is a massive win for the Lions, and I think they'll really appreciate the bye because they've they have had to scrap a few wins in the last month or two, and they've just managed to get across the line and get those points to secure that top two finish. But yeah, if they once they are able to get into finals and with Andrews in there, they look a lot better team, and I think they'll do some real damage in the finals. Do you think they'd risk playing Andrews, considering he is a key defender? If if he was to go down in the game, that'd be um, definitely put a huge hole in their um, team. It's definitely a tough proposition. The one thing I will say is that they're going up against Richmond, who have had the wood over them for I think over a decade now who have Jack Revold and probably Tom Lynch, he's expected to come back from that hamstring injury. So I would definitely be worried heading into that final without Andrews because they do have the second chance. It isn't like a make or break game where it's all or nothing, but I would be fearful of the fact of uh, potentially having to go up against those two really strong Richmond spearheads without him in the side. Yeah, I think it's 13 years... Um... Richmond's had the better of them and even it's it's strange isn't it how they can beat them on their home turf just like that and I think if you're a Richmond fan you'd be pretty happy you've got Brisbane and not Port Adelaide I reckon they would be and uh, speaking of Port Adelaide they were able to start the minor premiership by beating Collingwood last night uh, it was a pretty strong performance they seemed to have kind of all the answers when Collingwood made a surge and uh, for a team that's been kind of accused of being going under the radar a bit they head into the finals with only three losses for the season and they'll regain the likes of Tom Cleary and Zach Butters for the first final fin. Yeah I think both teams started similarly last night and I think Power were just able to get away from the pies as they've done most of the year they're just able to beat teams when it matters and um, definitely with Cleary and Butters coming back into that team and the fact that they will have a home final as finishing on top of the ladder, which is a great result for them this year. I think uh, they'll be really dangerous in finals. Yeah, I reckon they will be. And the team they beat, Collingwood, uh, I tried to pick every result, which meant it wouldn't happen, which probably just inevitably meant I jinxed all of them. But they now have to head over to WA, uh, quarantine for a week and play the Eagles and I mean, obviously, as a support, I'm pretty worried, but Hayden, considering the job the Eagles did to them early in the year, <laughs> uh, granted, there are some injury concerns with the Eagles. It, uh, it's going to be a pretty tough clash, though. To be fair, Collingwood and West Coast have a reputation for having uh, really close and competitive finals games. I was going to say there was a lot to play for. Port Adelaide had the minor premiership on the line, and then... Well, Collingwood had not facing West Coast on the line, so I think they're pretty uh, pretty equal in terms of significance. But honestly, I think if West Coast go back home, I think they'll find pretty good form just because of how well they do it back at home. So yeah, I'd, I'd definitely be pretty worried if I was facing them. Well, either way, it might be a close game. There's obviously the 2018 Grand Final, but the two teams also have two final straws and a number of games decided by uh, a couple goals or less. Uh, one team that was made to fight for their win was the Cats. They faced a very competitive and up for it young Swan side. But in the end, Finn, it was just a class of Patrick Dangerfield. He kicked three goals in a row late in the game to give them the lead back. And even for such a star-studded Geelong lineup, it still shows how crucial he is to their uh, chances uh, in the finals. Yeah, definitely. I think the the young Swans players have been really impressive this year and they were impressive again on the weekend and 
it was a pretty big game for the Cats and the Swans almost got them. But um, yeah, definitely Dangerfield going forward in that last quarter and kicking three. It was really be a really influential in that game and shows how good he can play in multiple positions. I think it'll be interesting next week if Stephen plays in that midfield. Do does Dangerfield go forward and try stretch that Port Adelaide defense? I think because he's definitely a threat down there when he plays forward. The Little Masters return was pretty uh, pretty massive, but he was overshadowed by his dad making interesting waves <laughs> with his take on the coronavirus, wasn't he, Hayden? <laughs> yeah, I did <laughs> think that was uh, pretty interesting uh, during the week. Probably not what you want when you're making your big return, but I guess that could be the one excuse Jalon had. They did have Selwood and Ablett coming into the side after Lon Lale, so you'd think would be better for the run. I guess, Hayden, uh, what did you make of their returns? And even though it feels like they've kind of lost a bit of their lust in the last couple of weeks, they still loom as a really big contender uh, come finals time. Yeah, massive returns, really. Um, as Finn highlighted before, I think they're massive campaigners, and Selwood especially. He's been um, long been there as a huge leader of the club and Ablett, so I think you're definitely... Um, you'd like your chances with them back um but i think geelong are probably still a bit scared of richmond i would say and just to quickly finish off we'll touch on north melbourne oh, they were pretty competitive against eagles but some inaccuracy and uh wasteful shots on goal cost them but the big news afterwards was the fact that they delisted 11 players and then the news coming after that that Ben Brown's exploring his options and even that Sean Higgins could potentially seek a trade. Uh, Hayden, this was probably what many expected, but it was still shocking to see that kind of cull. And do you reckon any of these 11 players could uh, get another opportunity at another club? Yeah, 11 was pretty massive cut just all of a sudden. And um, honestly, like it was sad to see Magic go after his huge return this year. And um, Ben Brown's had it a bit rough too. So I would... I definitely expect both of them to get picked up somewhere. Um, honestly, not sure where, but I think they definitely do deserve a second chance. How about you, Finn? Yeah, I think we said they needed to make some big changes in the off-season, and it's a pretty big statement from North Melbourne. I think all 11 players have some decent ability, but I think, yeah, I think Majak could definitely get picked up again, and look at Ben Jacobs and Mason Wood have had some good games for North Melbourne as well, so... I think teams will definitely look at some of those players. I guess it was pretty eye-opening with uh, Jamie McMillan and Jasper Pittard, who entered the year as part of the leadership group, both being delisted. But probably what needed to happen at North Melbourne so they could begin the next stage of their rebuild. Well, those are our refuse from all the games from last round. Uh, with no games this week, we're doing something a bit different for the prediction section. So be sure to stick around to hear what we're tackling after the break. Buse scrambles it out of there. Sarong. Bamford again. Sarong. So right. <laughs> He's put it through. Welcome back to the show, everyone. You just heard some audio from earlier in the year of Caleb Sarong kicking a great goal against Geelong. And that audio informs the theme of what we're doing for our predictions this week with no games where looking at some of the awards being presented this week are uh, in particular the rising star AFL players MVP and all Australian side and just giving our thoughts on uh, who the contenders are and uh, what the award should look like so we're going to kick off with the rising star award and the way this system works is uh, 
five votes are given to five different players and it goes in ascending order from one to five. So, Finn, can I turn to you to kick us off with the five players who you think should be in contention for the award this year? Um, so I had my uh, who I think will come in last out of my top five. I had Connor Butterick, who I thought played 15 games this year and was really consistent for Gold Coast as a medium defender. He's come into that defense and he's had a nice little impact and... I think he's had a really good season. It looks like he had a could have a really good career. At four, I had um, Will Day, who's cemented his spot at Hawthorne this year. Could be a bit of bias creeping in there, but he's showed his ability to play multiple spots across the field. Um, he's averaged 15 disposals and four marks a game, and he's not the biggest kid, but he can play, and uh, it looks like he could have a really good career. At three, I had Max King, who was my prediction at the start of the year for... Um, rising star and his his actual first year of playing football as he was injured all of last year but kicking 20 goals and to form a really key part of that Saints forward line it's fired them into the finals he's had a really good year and then runner-up I had Noah Anderson who's after Rao's injury he became a really key cog in the Suns midfield and stepped up to form a really good partnership with Greenwood and the likes of Miller and stuff in there and as a winner I had Pretty clearly, uh, Caleb Sarong had a really consistent year. He's come into that Fremantle midfield and really stepped up, taken a bit of the load off Fife and Mundy, and along with Cherry and Brayshaw, has formed a really good young core. And he hasn't really had a bad game since coming in. He's just been really consistent, and I think he'll probably win the Rising Star. So, yeah, there's my predictions. Pretty interesting. Got some similarities with mine. Um, so... At the, uh, at the start of the year, I'm sure everyone would have had Matty Rowell uh, up there, but I think he's probably due for a maiden best assistant coach award this year. <laughs> um, so in fifth, in fifth spot, I've got, I've got Max King. Um, fourth, I've got Isaac Rankin. Um, he's got some pretty good star ability. Uh, the commentators were building him up early in the year, and then later on they seemed, I don't know, they seemed a bit hard on him, thinking he wasn't doing as much as he could, but I think they built him up so much that it wasn't exactly his fault. Um, and then I've got uh, I've got Isaac Quainer in here. Um, I've loved his sort of run and gun ability. I think he's a pretty good chance. Um, he's played some um, pretty consistent, been in the team a fair bit. So yeah, I definitely have him up there. I've got Noah Anderson. He had some big shoes to fill, as Finn, Finn said, um, when Matty Rowe went out. So I think he's a pretty good chance for runner up. But yeah, as my number one, I've got Caleb Sarong as well. And um, honestly, he's just played against like some of the best midfielders in the comp, just playing negating roles on Dangerfield, O'Meara, Cripps, Parker, Caniglio, and he's only 19 years old. So, And in some of those games, he even acquired 20 possessions. So um, I think that's a he's, he's definitely um, in for the money, I would say. I was uh, very interested to hear you have Isaac Quainor in there, even as a Pies fan. <laughs> I didn't put him in there, but I will say his nomination last week was... Uh, <laughs> universally well received there was no backlash from uh <laughs> any supporters about another player who should have potentially gotten it but uh, i guess moving to my one and it's pretty similar to yours that one i had isaac rankin uh as you touched on hayden burst onto the scene uh not as flashy in terms of goals late in the season but i still thought kind of his touch and class with the ball stood out i've given number two to max king i think the fact that He's the key forward in a top eight team in the competition, especially as uh, Finn touched on in his first year of playing senior footy. I was really impressed with him. 
I've given Freda a will day. I think he was the best thing to come out of Hawthorne this season in terms of just real excitement. And I think the Hawks have definitely found a really good player for the future there. And similar to you guys, for I had Noah Anderson. I thought he's been really consistent. And obviously his friend, Matty Rowe, took attention away from him at the start of the year. But he's really stood up well and... Uh, at five and probably the pretty universally clear win, at least for us, uh, Caleb Saron. I thought he was brilliant. Uh, you needed to look no further than his game against the Bulldogs where he went one-on-one with Marcus Bontempelli and didn't look out of place. And a really big achievement for him, especially since some people thought he was the most speculated pick out of uh, Freo's top 10 picks from uh, last season. Can you remind me where he was picked up at? I think he was picked up at pick eight because Freo had pick seven, pick eight, and pick nine. So, obviously a high-quality player, but a lot of people were looking at Hayden Young and Liam Henry as uh, guys who might have a bit more of an impact before him, but just shows how good he's been this season, and he's really helped revitalize that Freo midfield. Jeez, what a steal. I reckon we'll be talking about this one in years to come, depending on how he goes, but, jeez, pick eight, Moving on to the MVP award, this is a player-voted award and there's a lot of debate each year about whether it should just go to who the players think is the best player in the competition or kind of the MVP, most important player to their individual side. So I guess kind of like the main discussion heading in is whether someone like Neil, Boak or Petrarca should win who are the three favourites for the Brownlow or... Another option who I'd actually like to see win is Tom Hawkins because I think he's been the most important player to the Cats in a top four side and probably also acknowledging the fact that the key forwards don't really get the love they deserve in the Brownlow. So I don't know about you, Thin, but I think it would be great recognition for the season he's had to be able to be the MVP. Yeah, definitely. And you've teed that up pretty well because I actually chose Hawkins as my MVP, I think. He had a great season and as you've outlined, he was so important to Geelong and he leads the AFL for goals, winning a Coleman and also goal assists. He's been such a good target for Geelong and he always takes the best defender and lets guys like Rowan and Myers really bring them into the game and you see how Dangerfield was able to go forward on the weekend and have an impact. Um, he can ruck in the forward line and can also play on the ground as well. I think 67 shots on goal this year, most in the league by a fair bit, so... It's pretty pretty important, and it gives the Geelong midfield a target and creates real forward line pressure in there as well. So I think, yeah, he's a pretty good MVP for me. Sounds like we're all in agreement. I, um, I've got Hawkins as well, and as you guys have touched on, I think he, he's got such a major influence on the game. Like, um, and, and as you said before, Hamish, maybe it would be nice for someone other than a midfielder to, get, to pick up an award like this and just the influence that he's had and one of the things I love most about him is his ability to take the ball out in the ruck and just score goals like a lot of rucks are scared to do that but he's got such a huge body that you know he's able to just take the game on like that. So I guess the one of the most talked about awards each season is the All-Australian side a lot of teams made uh we've just taken a quick break to look at the team so that and there was one surprise omission that I'm sure we'll get to but the way we'll structure this is I've made a baseline team just of kind of my first thoughts, but we're going to debate it as a panel of who we think should be eligible or in the final 22. So uh, we'll start with the back line. Uh, so I had Nick Keynes as the interceptor, Harris Andrews at full back, 
Luke Ryan, and then off the half-back line, Caleb Daniel, Braden Maynard, and Stephen May at centre-half-back, who actually isn't in the 40-man squad, so he won't make the best 22. So I'll turn to you, Hayden. Uh, are you mad to see your man robbed, and who do you think should be the other key defender, probably out of Jacob Wiedering and Darcy Moore? Oh, I think he was robbed here. Um, on the poll for the the All-Australian, who the 40 squad, on who was the most unlucky, Stephen Mays polled in at first at 30%. So, look, I, I don't know what's happened with selection here. Um Honestly, I don't even I haven't even thought about a replacement. I haven't thought that far ahead. Um, but in terms of defenders, I actually had um, both Dylan Grimes and Nick Floston for the um, defenders, and both of them have been named. So um, I was actually pretty happy with that because a lot of the conversation around defenders, um, sorry, like just the team, Richmond weren't mentioned a lot. So um, yeah, I was interested to see that. I guess turning to you, Finn, at least when I was putting this team together, the Backline was probably the one I struggled with the most, uh, deciding the two key defenders, but also some of the uh, half-back flankers and kind of medium to small defenders. Uh, in here, I've opted for Ryan Haynes, Daniel Maynard, but Jordan Ridley definitely came into the conversation. And the two players I'm still weighing up is uh, Tom Jonas and Brad Shepard on whether they should uh, get a spot in the final 22, either replacing one of those players or coming in on the bench for someone else yeah i think i had ridley as the one that could probably come in either off a halfback or a back pocket potentially for ryan or daniel because i think maynard's had a fantastic year and i think he fully deserves his spot and haynes is an intercept marker he's a really good one and i think with the with the omission of stephen may that center halfbacks slot is open and i'd probably just have darcy moore over weedering it's pretty close but i think he's just had more influence on games this year and I think his attacking also his attacking ability from centre half back is also quite underrated and I think he just pips weedering in that category. Well you're not gonna hear too many arguments from me even though I actually had <laughs> Stephen May over him and I guess if you were to admit someone like Keynes he could take that role off the interceptor that kind of Jeremy McGovern's fulfilled until this season. So a lot of questions handing over the back line will be very interesting to see how it shapes up uh, when it comes to selection and we turn to the midfield which is probably the most highly debated of each of the positions especially about whether a midfielder can line up on the wing or off the half forward line but in this team what I've done in the centre we had Travis Boak on the wings, Sam Menegol and Jack Steele even though I acknowledge that he's an inside midfielder I personally didn't think uh, there was another winman kind of worthy of that spot. And then uh, in the guts, I have Nick Natanuius, the Ruckman, and Lockie Neal and Kristen Petrakis, the two Rovers. So, Hayden, what do you think of this selection? I know you mentioned earlier Lockie Hunter would probably get in on the win if he played more games, but are there any changes you would make to this uh, midfield lineup? Yeah, I agree. I, I believe Natanuius has been the best Ruck this year. So, um, yeah, no, I agree with you on that one. Um I think Petrakis, uh, yeah, he's definitely had a pretty bro good breakout year. Um, he's sort of the best in the league according to AFL ratings, so reaching career-high stats, so you'd be pretty happy with him. A couple that I thought could have been smoky picks were I had uh, Shai Bolton. I think he was probably maybe overlooked because he's only sort of just slid into the midfield role and hasn't always been there, but I think he's been a um, pretty great campaigner for Richmond. 
And another one I had was Patrick Cripps, who he wasn't even nominated for the MVP award, which, I mean, <laughs> I don't even know how that happened because he's the number one clearance player and the number two contested ball winner. So, um, And he's had a pretty rough year. I've seen him strapped up every game. So, yeah. Um, another one I had was uh, Hugh McCluggage, um, which he has made it into the squad. And um, he made the 40-man squad last year. So it'll be interesting to see whether he makes the top 22 this year. I guess turning to youth, are there any changes you'd uh, make to this lineup, especially when considering the winman spot and whether there should be another true uh, winman out there? Yeah, I think you'd ideally you'd want to have a true wingman on the wingman spot, but I think you're right that there hasn't been another wingman along with Menegola who's really dominated this year. I think McCluggage, as Hayden mentioned, would probably be the closest who's been quite consistent, but I think you probably have to force a midfielder out there, and I think Jack Steele's the right choice. I think probably the only other midfielder or the midfielders I had that would be in contention were Guthrie and McRae. I think the fact that McRae is just such an accumulator probably even hurts him because he gets such big numbers every year. His impact on the game is probably isn't as recognised as much. And I think Guthrie's had a really good year in that Geelong midfield, and he could potentially be a smoky as well. But I think I'd, I'd pretty much agree with the midfield that you've got set there. And we turn to the forward line, which uh, has been pretty hotly debated this year, especially about whether the small forwards would take it over. But I think the two players who would be locking every side is uh, Charlie Dixon and Tom Hawkins taking the two key posts. But it gets a bit more interesting looking at the other positions uh, off the half forward line. I've got Patrick Dangerfield lining up there and Dan Butler. And then looking in the pockets, I've got Tom Papley in the team and I've included Jack Gunston. There's always a lot of debate about if you can have three key forwards in the forward line. And I reckon most people would look at Josh Kennedy, but I'm sure you could attest to Fina. Gunston's been really impressive this season. Yeah, Gunston has been really impressive. Um, he's able to play a variety of positions. And I think definitely the second half of this year, he's moved forward and um, he's really had an impact on the scoreboard, giving the Hawks someone to kick to. And I think he ended up coming around third or fourth in the Coleman, which is a really good effort for him. And he's able to get a lot of the ball and bring others into the game. So I think he really deserves a um, a spot in the All-Australian team. Um, and I think I'm pretty happy with the rest of your team there. I'd, I'd agree with pretty much everyone. And I think Mitch Wallace is probably the one I'd probably say has missed out, or Liam Ryan. I think they both got around 24, 25, maybe 26 goals for Ryan. So... I think potentially you could force Dangerfield out and put one of those guys in, but yeah, I think I'd agree with that. Yeah, it's interesting. We've got so Tom Papley and Dan Butler who are pretty similar, um, similar roles, and earlier in the year I definitely would have picked Papley, but it seems like Dan Butler's probably overtaken him, but I think they probably do both deserve a spot. Um, but then whether Liam, uh, Liam Ryan probably deserves a spot and he is on that list, so how you'd work him in I notice we haven't gone over it yet but we've got Charlie Cameron on the interchange so I'd probably replace him um, there and Mitch Wallace was another one I thought might have been a bit stiff to not make it Um, but yeah I think Cameron's sort of just a bit fallen out of favor so that's how I'd sort of adjust that forward line because as you said I don't think you could swap out there's no question about Dixon or Hawkins but um, Tabana I think was a bit unlucky too to miss out with the breakout year he sort of had coming forth in the Coleman so pretty unlucky on his part yeah definitely and I guess touching on that interchange that's where you probably look to see if 
make any changes in terms of including someone into the side. And on there, I have uh, Marcus Bontempelli, Taylor Adams, Charlie Cameron, and Dusty Martin. So uh, you're pretty happy with any team if you can have those guys coming off the bench. Uh, it's definitely very midfield heavy, even though uh, Martin could potentially line up up forward. But Hayden, what do you make of this list? And would there be any players you'd look at dropping? You mentioned maybe moving Charlie Cameron. I think, uh, I mean, it looks pretty good to me. Um, and Dusty, as you just said, he can just move up the forward line. He's so interchangeable, which makes it really easy for him to get a spot. Um, I was really happy for Caleb Daniel to make the list too for his due for a first time all Australian um, number one ranked general defender and um, it's interesting that he's even got a, someone's made a dedicated Twitter account just for his kicking alone so um, and uh, I've also got I also had Braden Maynard and so I do agree with you on a lot of these picks so it will be interesting to see how it shapes up it's it's very um, hard to pick, especially since Stephen May wasn't even included, so I don't even know what to do now. <laughs> and I guess, Finn, what do you make of the side? And I guess this is where we can make any final cases of a player who we think should go in. Like, as I said, probably the ones I'm weighing up is guys like Brad Shepard and Tom Jonas, because I think the defenders have really stood out this season. And you mentioned Liam Ryan. I was definitely weighing up whether his form in the latter half of the season had made him good enough to unseat uh, the likes of uh, Papley or Charlie Cameron. Yeah, I think the three that I'd be saying could have a case for inclusion would be Jonas with Port Adelaide finishing first. He's been so good down back and Wallace and Ryan, as I mentioned, but the whole team, I think there's always players that can be interchangeable and move positions on the field. So I think you've pretty much hit the nail on the head with the team. And I think any either way, uh, the team announcement's going to be good and, I think you're definitely disappointing that May's missed out because I think most of us had him in the starting team. So, but I think, yeah, it'll be a good team anyway and hopefully a first a few players get their first jackets as well. will definitely be a very interesting debate as we head into awards week on uh, Thursday night. Uh, so that's all we have for this week, uh, looking at the final games of the home and away season and trying to play uh, award predictors with some of the big occasions uh, coming up. Thank you for listening. Uh, credit once again to Kevin McLeod for the Son District 4. It's intro and outro song to this podcast. You can find a link in the description. And to Channel 7 and Fox Footy for the commentary audio provided. So next week we'll have a big show previewing the big finals to kick off week one in October. Uh, that's all for me anything you want to sign off with Hayden yeah, it's uh, no footy this week I don't know what I'm going to do with myself I've been um, had so much these last few weeks uh, it'll be interesting for sure but yeah thanks for having me and then, uh, how are you going to spend your uh, weekend without footy uh, I don't know uh, probably just uh, previewing games for the next week So, but it was uh, pretty tough to uh, pick some award winners and pick that all Australian team so that was good and uh, look forward to the week off and then getting into finals footy.